0: This episode is brought to you by Murranjai Water Drilling, a family-owned and operated team of fully licensed, insured and experienced drillers in the construction, mining and water services. They are licensed to drill and service in Queensland, the Northern Territory and Western Australia. They ensure all water bores are installed correctly and professionally first time, every time. Learn more at murranjaiwaterdrilling.com.au or find them on Facebook. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. If you ask
1: folks around the Pilbara region of Western Australia who Glen O'Byrne is, they might not be able to answer. But if you ask them about... Stixie? Well, it's a different story. Even I forgot Stixie's real name as I drove out to the station to visit him recently. Luckily, I remembered just as I was arriving. Otherwise, that could have been really awkward and he might not have recorded this episode. Stixie is a true blue, all-around top bloke and has been on the Pilbara Cattle Station scene for about 10 years. Now, we've all heard the stories of city girls who end up in the bush, but what about a boy from the suburbs? Stixie is from the surfy coastal town of Busselton, and he's managed to find his way into the pastoral industry despite having no involvement with agriculture growing up. He has since worked in the Territory and Western Australia, on live export vessels, and even in Russia in a feedlot. In this episode, Stixy shares a bit of his story so far. And what's next? Stixy, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: They said it couldn't be done. Your <laughs> boss tonight flat out said he's not going to do one. And yet, here you are. I should have made a bet with him.
2: Shoulda done. I Ten sh- bucks.
1: Oh, could be rich. Anyway, so I thought we should start off this episode, um, confession time. M- mine, not yours, don't worry, I'm not gonna make you confess anything on the spot. As I was driving uh to this station today, so we're on Linden station, I was like, Alright, gonna do gonna gonna come visit Sean and the family and Stixy. And I was like, What the hell is Stixie's name? I don't even know his real name and then it wasn't until I was here for a minute and then I realised I didn't know your name, but why don't you let us, let, let the audience know what your name is?
2: <laughs> Glenn. <laughs> Glenn.
1: Why Stixy? Where does that come from?
2: Oh, I'm a fine looking figure when I was a young fella. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just, I guess, yeah, you're pretty tall and lanky, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that we've got that out of the way, I just thought I should <laughs> confess to everyone that I was coming, like, I think it's the first time I've not known a podcast guest's actual name. <laughs> but I can't, I mean, I remembered it eventually, but we had a lot of mutual friends, met on Mandora station, which, uh, is part way between Port Hedland and Broome on the Kimberley coast. Technically it's just in the Kimberley. Um, and you know, Ben Mills, episode ooh, 39. Caitlin Mills, episode 2931 and Katie Donahue, soon to be Katie Lepard, uh, episode 34, maybe 33. I don't know, something. She's on there. Everyone's on there. They're way, way. They're like first generation. They're mm-hmm. on the early days of the podcast. How do you know this group of fine people? Oh, and Davo, of course, who is yet to be on the podcast. He
2: will be soon. Oh,
1: he will be <laughs> Davo coming for you. <laughs> anyway, how do you know them?
2: I've known Davo for many years before like coming up to Warrigain. But yeah, I first met Benno when I first arrived at put Warrigaine.
1: So what what is Warrowagne? Sorry also, very easy to slip into <laughs> calling it Warrigaine, gonna make sure I don't do that. Warrowagine, what <laughs> yeah. is that?
2: That's a station that we all used to work at together. Just a little bit out of um Marble Bar. Like in between Marble Bar and Port Hedland. And then um so yeah, like I rocked up there, what, 2010, I think it was. I was like brought up there from a mate, another mate from down Bussard, and So he got me the job there. And then, yeah, I was there for seven seasons, sort of thing, on and off.
1: That's a long time to be in yeah. a place, seven years.
2: Oh, we had like a real good crew. Like everyone, we were all just mates and we all used to just go mustering and have fun and get the job done.
1: So, the bulk of that time would have been when Warragun was owned by the Mills family? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And so, ben that's Ben Mills? Yeah. So, you came to work for Ben's family and Davo was working- Well, was he working there when you first got there?
2: No, he came second second or third year I was there.
1: Yeah, okay. And so, you said it was uh, a little bit east of Marble Bar, so we're talking the East Pilbara region?
2: Yeah. Well, Warragun's probably about a million acres, but there's only one neighbour on there, so- that was pretty good. So we had a lot, a lot extra country we can muster. Only is, but they wouldn't go too far out because there wasn't that much water out of the desert way. I know we used to start mustering sometimes April, depending on the weather and depends how much light rain we had over the wet season. And then, yeah, sometimes we we'll would go to August sort of thing. It was pretty flat out for them. Fair while, Just, oh, I can't remember how many, how much hair we used to muster there. There's a wedge there. <laughs> No, there's no. there's
1: certainly a fair wedge of cattle at Warragun. And so you said, yep. so you're kind of on the edge of the desert. Yep. I know I should know the name of what desert that was, but something. Yep, Google Maps. Google, Google Maps Google. to save the day. We'll it. But it's very, so you literally, well, kind of. So if anybody's seen like a pastoral map uh of Western Australia, there is, you know, it kind of. There is, like, a big chunk of... I don't know if it's the Great Sandy or if that's I think more... It is. Yeah. Um Yeah. Unless... I know, like, south of Halls Creek, I'm pretty sure it's still the Great Sandy Desert. But you guys are literally on the edge of the desert. So, like, you said you had one neighbour and then the rest of your boundary was crown land or uh, un- unallocated crown land.
2: Uh yeah.
1: And is it Great Sandy?
2: Um, just about there.
1: What? Google Maps to the rescue. What would we do without it? Would we... Bloody filing, rifling through the bookcase for an atlas or a globe. I want HEMA. Oh. Ah.
2: Yeah. So yeah, you got Okay. Direct, Google yeah. Maps,
1: not to the rescue. HEMA, Great. please also. Great. Sponsor team, us. It. <laughs> yes. Look at us go. So how many people would work at Gun when you were there? What? Is it because it's a family place? Yeah. Was it? But it, I guess what I noticed is like there was such a big crew. It kind of had one of the company. Feels to it because you had a, a, like a good number of people there. I think sometimes yeah. when people think family, they think like a really small family. Yeah.
2: Show. But no, they were like in the middle of Mustang, there would have been, yeah, like up to like 15, 20 people sort of thing. And that's like everyone from like truck driving and yeah, your ground crew. And that was like before we got well out too. So that, and that was including all the the family and everything. So there's a few, a few people there and they're cooking, cooking all that ball runner. <laughs>
1: And you said before you got Walau, is that uh, some kind of like <laughs> I was gonna, oh, I was just gonna be a shit star and be like, is that coming kind of a disease or yeah. is that like a new yeah. toy? Like, what is Walau?
2: Oh, that's like the station. Yeah, they ended up buying like a few few years after I like, arrived there, which is on the coast, of, like along the eighty mile beach there,
1: right next door to Mandora station. Oh, no, it was, it's a big country, but man, yeah. it is a small world. <laughs> so, how did mustering work at Warawagain? We
2: were all like on buggies and bikes.
1: Okay. When you say buggies, like, like what is it?
2: Suzuki's, a- Suzuki Sierras, just a bit of bar work on them.
1: So, little, little motor cars, not like yeah. a four wheeler. No.
2: Like, we just have them just in case, like the bulls and stuff would step out and they used to take care of them and. Mostly, mostly motorbikes would just be all spread around the mob and, yeah, then we will just walk them towards the yards. And while we're doing that, the helicopters like Ben and Scott Mills, they'll keep bringing cattle out to us. And then, yeah, Robin Mills, like Scott's old man, he'll be flying around in the plane like half spotting them and keeping an eye on everything.
1: That must have been pretty cool. That's three generations of the same family in the air. So, father and son in choppers and grandfather in an aeroplane.
2: It's pretty rare.
1: I don't think I've heard of that anywhere. What was it like working for the Mills family?
2: Oh, it was great. I was about to say,
1: (laughs) too bad if it wasn't because you've got to say nice things on this podcast. (laughs) No, that's – I mean, obviously, you were there for seven seasons, so I think you've probably got some good things to say.
2: Yeah, no, they like they looked after us workers, like, real good. Mm made sure, like, we were happy and we did our best to make them happy.
1: <laughs> so what what does it mean to be looked after well? What what did that look like or how did that translate?
2: Just everything from our living quarters and how they treated us and, like, we used to get lunches dropped out, like, when we were out mustering, like, fresh, made that morning from the homestead. So oh, I reckon that was like. Pretty deadly.
1: So there was no like pulling a soggy sandwich out of your camel back.
2: No, it was, it was all pretty fresh. <laughs> that
1: is, that is definitely fro-
2: frozen fruit box drinks.
1: Oh, for like, um, juice boxes. Yeah. Did you have to just use like a pocket knife to kind of like cut them open?
2: Yeah. And oh. then just like smash them up. So it's like slushy.
1: That must have been when you're out in, even though the dry season is the cool time of year, doing any kind of physical activity. I mean, your days would still be in the 30s, 30 degrees. Yeah. Um, Celsius and to have somebody come and drop something like not just cold, but sugary.
2: Mm, Let's go.
1: Yeah. Tell me about the living quarters.
2: So they were pretty like deadly. They were like a, they were permanent set of, set of quarters. So it was like in a bit of a square shape, but it was all undercover, five rooms on one side and four rooms on the other side. And there was a TV room in there and we had our own kitchen and mobile showers and toilets. And yeah, just like in the center of it, was just like we used to all just hang out. And when it was cold, we had we got a big pot belly in there that we made. And then, well, there used to be a pool table. Whenever that soon went, <laughs>
1: soon went or was soon destroyed.
2: Yeah. no, it just got in the way. We never really played it. It was like one of them pool tables. Where you like hit the ball, and then the ball just like rolls off to one side. Oh, because <laughs> the
1: ground wasn't even, no, or the, the pool, pool table, table wasn't, wasn't even. <laughs> Maybe that's why it was given to you yeah. guys. I think so. So you said you had, like, you had your own kitchen in there. Now I know there is a main kitchen at Waroogyn, yeah. so and that's where you generally ate all meals. So was this yeah. so, like, on days off you could,
2: yeah, just have fix own yourself and feed yeah. and
1: not getting the not getting like the main kitchen. Yeah,
2: and if we like, were like we having parties and stuff and we got hungry later on in the night. <laughs>
1: When you got the munch, well, not yeah. the not the munchies in the typical sense, but like the like when hungry. you are yeah, when you got hungry, yeah, def- yeah that was a poor choice of words, De- yeah.
2: That uh, that was the first time I ever seen someone like cook chops in a toaster on the side. Are you serious?
1: <laughs> who who did that? Let's name and shame.
2: <laughs> Pretty sure it was Dave and Bob. Oh, really, <laughs> yeah.
1: And he put, he put chops chops like lamb chops yeah. in a toaster
2: and toast on the side.
1: Oh, and laid the toaster on yeah. its side. Would that not just like leave bulk like grease or fat or something like in the toaster?
2: Yeah, it's got the grease trap How many
1: times did he have to like did he crank it up to the highest setting and then just keep having to push the toaster button down? Pretty
2: much. Oh <laughs> my god.
1: You didn't have a microwave in that kitchen? Yeah. Or a grill?
2: Yeah. But an that, oven? That took too long.
1: An yeah. open flame on the pot <laughs> belly?
2: <laughs> no, I think did, this, how do
1: they I, taste?
2: It's like an old chop. Pretty good. Oh really? Yeah. I think that was before we, that was before we had our pop, pop belly in there. Okay. See,
1: so, you know, you put a young, like a group of young fellas together and you never know what creative things you may get up to. I oh, yeah. suppose that's probably on the more harmless end of the scale, but yeah. really, really. And so seven years. How long would you be at Warrawagyne for each year? Was it just April to August or would you be there a little earlier, a little later? Like what stretch of times are we talking?
2: I used to rock up there sometimes like just before Easter and then, yeah, then by August we were like sort of let our hair down as a bit, like go to Panner rodeo and all that. Then for a few years there we started spraying like for um, weeds in the river like um, Parkinsonian, another plant, color That's it. So we so we'll mainly like spraying for them. So that would take a couple of extra months. So I'm yeah, sure there's
1: all the fun jobs of like fencing and maintenance and
2: yeah. But we used to have like enough people we can do that while we're doing like yard. Work oh, throughout that. the year, yeah. 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 Wow, so just keep on top of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, So you didn't get to the end of the cattle work and just have a pile of stuff waiting for you. No. Nah. No. Nah. All right. And so that's a, um, I suppose. So that's a good chunk of year, maybe like six months of the year. What are you yeah. doing a, a, during the rest of the time? In a way, like you've got that stability that, you know, every year for seven years, you spent six months in one place, but yeah. in the other hand, it's quite transient in a way in that, like, what is, what were you doing for those other six months?
2: For, for the first few years, I used to go back down back down to Boston, my hometown, and um, just drive machinery.
1: What kind of machinery are we talking about?
2: Oh, like diggers, and, um, diggers loaders, dozers.
1: And is this on like graders. farm stuff or like road works no, or construction? No, for, it for
2: a, for a um, contractor used to work in like a re, um, refinery, mining refinery in Capel.
1: Okay. Now, this definitely is not my strong suit. Now, I know refinery is obviously refining something. Yeah. Uh, so, what kind of mine and-
2: so they used to mine, um, iron oxide. It's like a black dirt. Uh huh. It's like iron ore, but. So different. you were
1: driving machines like pick up.
2: Well, they used to do, they used to go through the plant and get, um, into pipes and get put, piped down to settlement dams. And our job was to dig out and dams and oh. so it can go back through the, um, big machine or big. The refinery. Okay. You get it like more out.
1: A little bit over my head, but I think <laughs> I've think I've got it. Wow, what other kind of things are you doing in the off season?
2: Well I did used to do that for a few years and then I'd just like go between there and water And then after that I just started started not liking it, the mine stuff. And then I started going harvesting for a mate in Darren. So I used to do that for a few few years too.
1: So you, you'd finish the cattle work and then come down and jump in like a, were you in a harvester or? A
2: yeah. or I started off in a chase. it like been like, yeah. Everyone doing so that. that's,
1: so that's following the person harvesting the grain and kind of collecting it, catching yeah. it. Uh, and then did you move on to harvesting? Like actually, yeah, cutting I, jumped, the grain? I was in the
2: header for a little bit. Yeah.
1: Wow. How did you, um, like, like I was just saying before, it's, you've got that kind of stability. In life, in that like every, you know, you know, at this time of year, you're going to be up in Warragaim. But how do you? You're kind of living in two very different parts of the country as well, like down south, and what, like so, if You're remote. You don't have access. You know, you don't go to town as often and whatnot. And it's hot and well, just it's just different to down south. And down south, there's a lot more people. You know, yeah. how did you kind of balance such big changes
2: you oh, know, no. between your
1: environments?
2: I know, I think I'm just a bit of an easy sort of fella, so I just go with the flow and go with what's happens. and Yeah. But then, yeah, I started realising I love it more up here, like on the stations and being in towns and stuff.
1: I was just about to ask you that, <laughs> what you prefer. Tell me about some of your standout memories at Warragun, whether they're good, bad, ugly, or, you know, I'm thinking probably pretty bloody funny.
2: Oh, I know there's a, there's a couple.
1: You can tell yeah. them, and then we'll decide if they're say if they're not safe oh. <laughs> to to for other ears to hear. No, I'll make try sure removing. They're him. not that bad. Not <laughs> that bad. <laughs> so what are your favorite memories with? Um. So I know. So there would have been like you, Benno, Davo, Hopper. They yeah. were a pretty regular crew for a few yeah. years there. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: remember that was probably one of the best things, just having that same crew. Yeah. Which, which makes
1: crazy retention, right? Yeah. Like, like you seven years and a lot of the other ones probably wouldn't be far off.
2: I think Dave, I would have been there six, six years sort of thing. So, but it was just like made life so much easier for everyone, made life a lot easier for Ben and Scott. Like they, we, everyone knew where we were going and how new everyone worked and what the cattle were like. So, yeah, no, it was pretty good there.
1: What was it like the first time you rocked up to Warrow again?
2: Oh, it was a bit of an eye like, I only spent one season previous working on stations. Like, I first started out in the territory contracting and then, yeah, had a mate from down busting He was like, Oh, well, like, I was like, Oh, I want another job on a station. He's like, Oh, I'm, I'm what sort you of out. And then, yeah, he got me the job at Warragon. And then, yeah, so it was like just a whole different aspect of how people in the, East Pilbara work to and the people in like the territory, like two different worlds, really.
1: Yeah. Everywhere. And, and you'd be a world away where you are today in the far west. Yeah. Southern Pilbara slash Northern Gascoigne. Um, a whole different show to Warragine. So you said Warragine was your second job on a station. You previously mm. gone contracting in the territory. Now that's a, um, you didn't grow up on a station, did no, you? No, nothing. I was, did you grow up on a farm?
2: No, nothing. I just grew up in Busselton.
1: So Busselton yep. is a fairly large town. Is it like yeah. two, two hours south of Perth or is two that Bum- and a half, yeah. two and a half? Okay. So South of Bunbury. Yeah. I always get those two mixed up and Bunbury's the one that's technically a city, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Both
2: cities now. Oh, really? Yeah. Ooly dooly. Is that many people?
1: Oh, yeah. Breeding. That- nah. <laughs> um, so you're from Bustleton. you're not from a farm, you're not from a station. I find it very interesting that your first job is to go contracting in the Territory because contracting is kind of like a sink or swim, like you kind of got yeah. to know what you're doing and have a certain level of experience, whereas maybe if you don't, you can go to ag college or you can go be a first year somewhere. So how was that? I guess that's a bit of an initiation by fire. How did you find the job? And what made you, again, coming from a very like surfy town, want to go to the Territory and play with cows?
2: Well, I had a mate, he was working um, at Kalani Station up there. So the bloke that I started working for, he was like, did some work at Kalani there and, yeah, he was like, yeah, I need someone else and my mate, like, well, I was always saying, like, I need to get out of Boston and, like, go elsewhere and I always wanted to go on stations. And yeah, he's like, "Oh, this fella's looking for a job." I was like, "No worries." So I was sending messages and emails and that, and my resume and stuff, and yeah, got the job up there. And yeah, no, that was pretty, that was pretty out there, like big eye you no, know, like especially not knowing anything about cattle, didn't know how to ride a bike or nothing.
1: Really, you didn't yeah. even know how to ride a motorbike, no. <laughs> really. No. So hang on. So how, what, how old would you have been?
2: I was twenty.
1: Twenty. Okay, so you're a couple years out of school. What kind of work had you been doing since you finished school?
2: So well, while I was at school, I, I was working in a fishing camping shop, mm-hmm. and I stayed there for like another I don't know, half year after school, and then I made window frames for a um, window mobbing bustling in there. And then after that, I just started driving machines, like loaders, and yeah, just sort of graduated from there. and.
1: That's so cool because I, I mean, we have one thing we learn on this podcast and through the stories on our website is that there's no like part, like traditional pathway or set standard pathway into this industry. But I haven't heard, we haven't come across a surfy boy like or a boy from a surfy. I mean, you kind of look like a surfy. You've got long blonde hair. <laughs> well, a long blonde mullet. Um, granted, mullets are very in at the moment, but you've had one since the day I met you and probably long before I'm guessing. To have no, like, previous cattle farming, whatever experience, not even right, I thought I would think, you know, at least if you're that way inclined to want to go up to the territory and contract that you'd be, like, a like dirt bike rider or, you know, something. Nothing. (laughs) So, complete greenie and you go straight into the deep end of contracting in the VRD. Yeah. Which, obviously, you've, you know, sink or swim and you've clearly –
2: Oh, I don't held know. In there.
1: Yeah, because t- more than ten years later, like you're still in the industry. So yeah, tell me about. So it was a contracting career where they they based at Kalani. Did
2: you say no? So so he was based in Catherine, mm. and we just contracted to uh, different joints. Like yep. the first place I went to was well, Waterloo. Oh
1: wow, mm. that's a pretty iconic station.
2: Yeah, and, was, and there was like flash there too, and and then from there I went over to Ben Mara. So the other side of the state, and then finished there, and then went down to Andado, like right down south of Alice Springs there.
1: that So you covered a fair bit of country. Yeah. I'm um, guessing if, you know, you said before it was a bit of shock um, or, shock, you know, change going from home to working with cattle, I'm guessing when you just said being, like, based out of Catherine, that must have been a bit of a um, – a little bit different than Bustleton.
2: Yeah. well, <laughs> I've never even been on a plane before, and on my first – Plane trip was to Darwin.
1: Really? Yeah. And what? Like, what do you pack? Is that do you fly with a swag or do you wait till you get there and buy one? Or no,
2: I did fly with the one there. Yeah. And
1: so tell me about the first time. I mean, so what was it? I mean, it's one thing to try and learn to ride a motorbike, but when were you trying to learn while you're mustering cattle, or did you get yeah, some like? Pretty off? Much. Okay, so that really <laughs> is sink or swim. Yeah. Like, or or ride or fall on your ass. Like, pretty
2: much. And they have like a boss, like there's a contractor that, that most of them are pretty hard, I think. they not so much these days. I don't reckon I, I've met a few more and they're pretty good fellas, but yeah, like fellow fella I was working for years. They're pretty hard and used to put the boot in my ass a fair bit. Really?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask like literally or figuratively?
2: No, literally. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. What made yeah. you hang in there though and not be like, Bugger this and head back home.
2: I wasn't going to let him beat me. <laughs> Love it. No, and I was just, I was new. I just wanted to keep on having a shot at it.
1: What about working with cattle? Talk to me about your, I suppose, your first time jumping in a set of yards and then what your memories of that year in the territory are of working with cattle.
2: I was shit scared to start off with. Why is but, that? Oh, because they're like they're pretty, some pretty savage ones up there. But, being pushed like literally push onto cows and like all I had to do was like hold onto a head sort of thing. And then haven't realized having like the rest of the boys coming, they were going to back me up and like, cause it only used to happen a few times sort of thing. Like cow just wouldn't go in the like into a pen. So they used to uh, wrestle them sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think literally getting pushed on them like made me realize it wasn't so bad as long as I had good boys behind me like helping, which I did.
1: That's pretty lucky and it sounds like yeah. that is something that carried through to your time at Warrowagine is that idea of having like a solid team and people you can rely on and trust to have you back and be there.
2: Yeah, and it makes like life so much easier and just having that trust with the crew that you work with. Like you feel not say invincible but makes you a lot braver.
1: What did you learn in that first year contracting in the territory that you really weren't expecting to learn?
2: Everything about cattle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you were expecting to learn something about cattle. No, it was like just teamwork really. Cause like you all live together and you work together, you together like 24 seven pretty much.
1: Was it all blokes?
2: No, we had some girls come through. Yeah. So it was a bit of mix and match. But, yeah, majority of blokes, yeah.
1: Yeah. What was the hardest part about the job or or just the experience in general?
2: Just getting in there, like, first up, like, learning everything and learning what everything to do with cattle, riding bikes, like how mastering goes, li- listening to you two-way. Eh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Understanding what they're saying. Yeah. Being able to decipher that. Yeah. So in the next year, so you come home and you say, all right, you talk to a mate, you say, I want to go back and work on a station. So when you grew up in Busselton, was that in like the suburbs, would you say? Like suburbia or kind of like semi-rule? Or? Uh, no,
2: it wasn't semi rural. It was just, I don't know we were 4Ks from town sort of thing. Yeah, so so, like right so in, in, town. in the verbs. Yeah. yeah.
1: So what was it about that experience contracting that made you say, shit, I want to keep doing this. And it, when it's just really you've got no, before that, you've just got no connection to it whatsoever unless you were like me and like a dead Seth MacLeod's Daughters <laughs> fan.
2: <laughs> no. Ne- were you? No, I never watched it.
1: Lies. Never. But okay, I'll order you the DVD full set for Christmas.
2: <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, no, it's just getting out and travelling and seeing like Australia, seeing all like, the real cool places. Like i don't know, probably seen more of Australia. Than I would have ever thought really doing this job, even seeing the world too.
1: Yes. So, in amongst your years at Warragai, you kept throwing yourself so into the experiences within this industry. And what what was the adventure or ventures that you went on?
2: No, so I started doing some boats in the off season as well.
1: Live export. Yeah, boats. live
2: export boats. yeah.
1: Not not cruise boats. <laughs>
2: think, no. No, that'd be boring. <laughs> I thought I just wanted to take one step further and see what that was like. It was a real good experience too. And
1: Why, though? Like why would you want to go from working with all your mates on a station, um, you know, mustering cattle, you know, all that kind of stuff? You've got the camaraderie and teamwork. You're on solid ground, yeah, safe, solid ground. What made you think, hmm, I want to I – and mean, you can't just jump on a boat. You have to go and study and pass a test and yeah, you know, do, do, do course- a course and –
2: I just wanted, I had a few other mates that have done it before, so I was like, I just want to give it a shot, give the experience, like, get the experience and see the world at the same time, get paid for it.
1: Would you say during your time contracting in at Warrawa Guy and then going into boats, it definitely sounds like there's certainly like an element of chasing adventure and travel there, but obviously this is all kind of centered around cattle as well. Would you say, do you think you were like equally interested in cattle and cattle production and, um, and traveling and exploring? Or was it more that cattle were kind of a means to an end to be able to do this? Or were you just like dead set in love with cows? Like was it, was it a bit of a battle? Like how, how did was, that fall?
2: It was a bit of everything really, like getting to see the world. And then also like probably one of the coolest things is like mastering the cattle and then. Seeing him in the feed lot, and then seeing him on the boat, like going to their final dinette destination, sort of thing. So you can you see it from like when they're calves to weaners to growing cattle to like getting trucked and putting on boats, and that's pretty out there.
1: So a lot of the cattle you worked with on Warragain were destined for or geared towards the live export market. They were sent overseas. Yeah. So jumping on a boat, uh, working as an accredited and qualified, uh, onboard stockman was able to, you're able to follow their journey. Were you on, of all the voyages that you did, did you have the, the luck to be on a boat with cattle from Warragain?
2: No, just, just the one boat. It was just um, So one. Yeah, there's one time.
1: One time, that's that's. Did you know they were going to be on there? Yeah, that's cool though. Actually, no, be, I think there was two times. That must have been so cool to yeah. know, like, see the the tag or the brand, you know, whatever, and yeah. know like I mustered those cattle. Yeah,
2: and you're like you just, it was funny. You're like walking down like the lanes, like checking your cattle, and you're like looking through them all, and then you see an earmark and you're like, oh, I know that one. <laughs> Yeah, and like some even some of the animals, you yeah, actually like recognise them. Really? Yeah.
1: You'd think, because I know you, like you said earlier on, there's a fair wedge of cattle or a guy you're handling yeah. a lot of animals, but they do kind of have, you know, to some extent, look look different. You know, they're different yeah. and have different looks and personalities and features yeah. and.
2: Yeah. No. So that was that was pretty out there.
1: <laughs> so where was your first voyage to? Uh, Russia. <laughs> okay. So how, how many days does it take to get from Australia to Russia? I'm pretty sure like, that is like literally the furthest destination of all is. the voyages.
2: I think it is. Like if they go straight, it's like 22 days. Mm-hmm. But on the first voyage I went on there, like we drop cat, we we're dropping cattle off in um, Istanbul in Turkey, which is like right there. We're on the way anyway. And, but we were there for a few days, like unloading their cattle. And then, yeah, then we just kept on going. So yeah, it will be like 25, 30 days, like pretty much, pretty much it's a month.
1: So you've never been on a live export vessel before and spent any fair amount of time at sea. So rather than jump on a little boat out of Darwin and, you know, take a four day trip to Indo Malaysia. You decide to commit to thirty days, thirty odd days at sea to go to Russia. Yeah. And stop by Istanbul and Turkey on the way.
2: Yeah. And not not only that, well, as soon as you get to Russia, um, they want a couple of the crew off the boat to stay in the um feedlots for the quarantine. So that added on like another month.
1: You stayed in Russia for another month.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. So we did a little, um, so today I went on, oh, it wasn't really a bore run, but we went, well, I say, yeah, well, we, I was going to say we. And I was like, let's be honest. I didn't do any work. Stixie did all the work. He fixed some fences, uh, cemented a trough, uh, cleaned out some other troughs. I was just playing DJ and doing a bit of background, uh, for this episode. I was like, oh. I never really, yeah, don't know much. As we can tell, I didn't even know your name, or not properly. And you mentioned your first vote was to Russia, and I was like, well, don't tell me. Anyway, didn't realise you spent a whole other month in Russia. Yeah. Dixie, that is so cool. Do you know how hard it is to get, like, a tourist visa to go to Russia?
2: It's easy to get a working visa there.
1: Oh, that is, okay. So, so you're saying for quarantine, so our cattle, so the Australian cattle had to spend a period of time in quarantine in Russia. Yeah,
2: in the feedlots.
1: Uh and then after that, that's when they were able to go into like the Russian system, like the, the yeah. purchases. Yeah, what was that? What time of year? Like, what season was it over there? Was it
2: so first time I was there, it was just on the end of winter, I think. So it was like end of January, sort of thing.
1: How? What? What kind of describe the the country type and the temperature and?
2: So when we first rocked up there, it was minus thirty.
1: Okay, and so you, so you said end of January, which means you would have left Australia early- End of
2: December, end yeah. End of December,
1: so in the peak of summer. Yeah. What port did you leave from?
2: I flew. So I flew into Melbourne and then drove to Portland. We, yeah, we left Portland. Okay, so- And then came across the South Australia, across the and pulled into Fremantle to pick up more cattle, and then- yeah.
1: So it would have been still fairly, even though you're in the southern part of Charlotte, it's still yeah. New Year's, fairly warm. Yeah. And then you get to Russia. I know that
2: Victoria's pretty cold. that time of you there too.
1: <laughs> I, I need to, sorry, I need to know everything. Like, I want all, the, I don't care about the podcast. I want all the details. Tell me everything about working in Russia in a feedlot in quarantine and just being in Russia. Like, did you just live off potatoes and vodka? Like. Tell me, oh. tell me all the things. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> knowing you, I'm like, you probably did, didn't you?
2: <laughs> oh, the, the first time we went there, like, cause, um, when you unload the boat, it takes like a long time for the trucks to come back. So you'd unload for two days. You take a week to unload the boat because you're two days to unload, then you have a day off waiting for the trucks to come back. Cause their feedlots were like, I wasn't sure how far they were by road, but it was like a six hour train ride from moscow so we used to dock in novrasisk which is like right in the south of russia there and then we'll get there unload the boat for a week and then fly to moscow and then from moscow we jump on a train go to another place called Briansk. and then from there that's like central so there's like two or three feedlots that they used to send the cattle to so the first two days they'll truck cattle and then we'll have day off. And that first time on on a day off, the um one of the captains off the boat who's like, Oh, we'll go to town, we're like I know this brewery close by and we'll go have a few drinks and that we've got tomorrow off. And then yeah, we start start having a few beers and next minute the um vodka comes out. <laughs> and then yeah, we're just having shots of vodka and pretty much Ten minutes later, everyone's on the ground.
1: <laughs> everyone, or everyone but the Russians. Everyone but the Russians. Russians. <laughs> what? Um. So, what was the point? Like, why did you? And so, was it the other stockman, Australian stockman? Yeah. Why did you have to stay back with the cattle during this quarantine period? Why? Why couldn't you just go home?
2: It's just a part of their contract. So they they fly another Australian vet out, which is also from Bustleton. Believe it or not, it was a small world. <laughs> I was like, whoa. And so yeah, so they flew another fly another vet out, and then yeah, just took, they just it's easiest to have two stockmen off the boat just to stay there. With is the this cattle. because
1: um, is this like when in recent years they've been um, exporting cattle to countries like Kazakhstan and trying to build up for cattle that uh, for ch- countries that t- don't traditionally? Run cattle or they're trying to build their numbers and build, uh, facilities and infrastructure and whatnot. And they're kind of getting some education on this, like as well as a part of the program. Like were you there to kind of show them how to handle the Australian cattle and do things like that? Or
2: we weren't doing that as such. They had like a team of Americans over there, American cowboys and they were pretty much like sort of half running the feedlots and teaching the Russians how to do stuff. Our job that was just to mainly treat the cattle that we took over. Like that was still like if there was any sick ones with like pink eye and stuff. So that's pretty much all we are doing and like showing like the Russians like some medical side of the things like how we do it as well. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Did you get to hang out with the Americans much?
2: Yeah, I used to have lunch and that with them and <laughs> yeah, we used to catch up with them at, like um, after work and like if we are going to the pub or something.
1: Did you, you know, that? Then- I just, how cool. I'm guessing they would have wanted to hear. I mean, they did you get to tell them stories about Warragun or contract line? I'm sure they would have loved to hear that Yeah. And vice versa.
2: Yeah, pretty much. It was just, that was also interesting to see how they do everything compared to how we were doing everything. They do everything on horses. And if they're like, if they need to treat something in the pen, they wouldn't bring it to the yards like we would. They'll just rope it on the ground there and inject it sort of thing.
1: Were the Russians traditionally? Did they traditionally work cattle on horses? And I don't, I just don't feel like roping is a thing in Russia. Like, are they trying to teach them how to rope?
2: Well, cattle haven't been in Russia for that long. Yeah, until I was not- there. Yeah, so they had no idea what like, what they were doing at all. Pretty much.
1: You think though, like roping is as somebody who's been pretty bad at it for about six years now. <laughs> As, as you would think though, if you were t- setting up cattle somewhere brand new and wouldn't you just teach people like, and again, horses, I don't know, like I get that that's how they do things, but you think you'd just set it up for them a little bit easier and like, cause mm. it's one thing they're trying to learn how to look after cattle, but then you're adding in horses and stuff there too and roping and, that's a that's a skill like I I don't know I feel like I would have taught them to go through a set of yards and into a a chute or a crush um you know like a restraining box and yeah. to treat cattle that way. You think that would be so much easier for them.
2: No, I know the Russians are pretty crazy. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> But by the time I got there, there was like a good handful of like Russian fellas that they're real good cowboys. So they can do it like easy.
1: Do they dress like the American cowboys? No. Or were they like <laughs> roping in a roping saddle wearing like those little like fur hats? Those little in like beaver denim. hats and wearing they in double denim? Yeah.
2: The Americans were, but the Russians weren't. <laughs> no.
1: Oh, I need to see pictures. This sounds so fascinating. I, I
2: don't think I overtook them. No, definitely okay. Not definitely on not this one. <laughs> that is a
1: crime to yeah. have that experience and not take photos. So, what about your other voyages?
2: After that, uh, I think my second voyage was by myself on a boat out of Darwin, going to
1: by yourself.
2: Yeah, it was only a little boat, only like three thousand. Talk had about
1: on. sink or swim, though. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, uh, you had done. You had well, Obviously, again, you have to be accredited to do this, but obviously, yeah. you've done such a great job. Oh, look at me! You can you can slip me fifty it. bucks later. Um, <laughs> no, you'll get an invoice for these for these compliments. You'd obviously done a decent enough job on the first voyage. That was it with the same company.
2: No, different company. Oh, okay, maybe they just <laughs> didn't know you then. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. keep going. Yeah, so that was like a, another big eye opener. Just like being on on a lot smaller boat, going from the biggest like live export boat to one of the smallest ones, and being the only like Aussie on board with a mob of Filipinos like. They're all great people, but you, know, you just don't understand them all the time, even when they try to speak English. You've got
1: to be like twice the height, and yeah. I always found—I mean, I only did a handful of boats, but the the crew were just so well. I mean, not—I guess the most for the most part, like just like, cool dudes. Yeah. They spend up to nine or twelve months, you know, at a time at sea. Sending all their money home to their family, but they were hilarious and so up to date on pop, like Western pop culture. That as soon as you get on the boat, they'd be like, "Do you have movies on a hard drive? Like, we need new movies
2: and karaoke. They love the karaoke.
1: I did. They um, (laughs) I think I have video somewhere. So I spent my 25th birthday on a voyage from Darwin to Malaysia, and the crew all got together and sang karaoke, and it was bad eighties karaoke, (laughs) but stuff I'd never even heard of, and it was. Oh, oh, my God. They're such good value though. Oh, yeah. And they're handy little stockmen. Like, you oh, know, yeah. they spend, you know, all that time at sea with the animals. Like,
2: and they, re- and they remember you too. So like, if you go on the same boat again, they're like,
1: Hey, I don't know. You. Well, I mean, let's be, <laughs> you're not your like generic Aussie bloke. Stixie's a bit of a like
2: stand out like- of the crowd. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you've got this flowing long mane. <laughs> <laughs> This uh very – what's that? Wolf Creek. What's that guy from Wolf Creek? John Jarrett. Yeah, like a bit of a John Jarrett moustache thing going yeah, on.
2: sideburns.
1: Yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah, well, I don't know. I'm getting some John Jarrett vibes, like in a nice way. Maybe it's more Terry from McLeod's Daughters than than John Jarrett yeah. from Wolf Creek. Um And you're like seven million feet tall, so I'm sure you probably stood out.
2: Yeah, I love the
1: visual I've just given everyone. Like (laughs) he's a tall, blonde-mulleted serial (laughs) killer.
2: Yeah, thanks.
1: (laughs) Keep going, sorry.
2: No, that even happens to me all the time over here. The people remember you? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, like I said, you you stand out in a crowd. So you, how many – you ended up doing a few boats throughout your years at Warragain. Yeah. And now, I mean, obviously, without going through every single thing you've done, we find you here today at – and so I guess this is the other thing. So when you're at Warragain for those seven years, it was there for the seasons. It wasn't – I mean, it was a full-time job Mm. for that time. But I guess kind of back in those days, you're on a day break and it is very much a casual job even though it's full-time for that period of time, Mm. doing other things in the off-season. And now you are – a permanent, you have a permanent, full time, all year round position on a cattle station. Yeah. There's no coming up for the season. You're here, rain, hail, or shine. Olivia, oh, yeah. you've got a
2: big TV there, look. he
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does have a massive TV on the wall. <laughs> I was going to say, you're here, rain, hail, shine, or drought. Which in yeah. this part of the world, definitely That's the latter uh, is for fam- me. It's familiar with that. So my pull up stumps and um, settle down, Stixie? I
2: oh, know. I spent like. A long time just traveling around and living out of bag and out of my ute and yeah just sort of try something different like actually unpack my bags for once and sean and Catherine being like real good to me here and they let me live in this not a bad joint <laughs> but no, i just enjoyed it and it's just nice just to call somewhere home for once and we're surrounded by a good place like coral bay and exmouth and Gascoigne Junction, so there's lots of places close by I can go on and venture and, yeah, it's just me, me and my dog, Blue, I've got somewhere to camp.
1: <laughs> so I suppose like what I'd kind of asked a bit earlier is that, you know, were you doing the station work uh, and, you know, the boats and stuff, was it for this, you know, more so think, travel, adventure, seeing the world versus... You know, for the love of, I mean, I don't know you'd have to, for anyone to work with cattle, like you really, you do have to love it, but it seemed like it was leaning a bit more towards this adventure and travel. When you take a position like this, obviously, you know, these are, this is still a fairly big pastoral lease and there's, there's adventures within that, but it is different now. It's kind of, I guess, more cent, more not centered, but leaning towards the cattle side of things because you're yeah. not travelling, seeing the country, uh having all these adventures. I mean yeah. still some. So does that mean that you really did love cows all along?
2: Yeah, you can say that. Well I still get to go out adventuring. like like down here is like really good. Like you help your neighbours out so you can still go mustering at different places and experience like new country and that. But I know just it's good having a place at home. Which I never didn't really have for a long time or oh, 10 years sort of thing. So I spent like 10 years traveling around and moving around and venturing and that, but I'm still half young. So
1: <laughs> just tell me a little bit about that. I guess the toll it took on, on always kind of living out of a bag and a swag for 10 years.
2: Oh, it was great. Like you get to meet that many new people and, and see everything, like see all the country and you always doing something like. So, doing something different every day, going somewhere different all the time. So, no, that was like, a real good adventure.
1: I guess now staying in one place is a, 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 an adventure in and of itself. It's just a different kind of adventure.
2: Yeah. It, yeah. Another experience of not having to worry about your next job or like where you're going to live or anything. Yeah. So, it's pretty much all there for you.
1: So, if I was to ask you, remembering that you just said you're still half young, uh, what looking back on your story or your experiences thus far, obviously, because there's a lot more to come, what would you say is the major takeaway lesson?
2: If you want to do it, just do it. Or if you want to go traveling, just do it. If you want to go work somewhere, do it. And just don't let anyone or Anything that stop you from doing it.
0: Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au.